You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. How's everybody doing this morning? All right, here we go. That was like a B plus, maybe an A. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. Uh, well, hey, I'm going to start a timer before we get started, lest we be here till Monday. Um, hey, I think everybody knows me, but my name is Josh, and for anyone that's on there that, you know, maybe watching this or listening back to it later, uh, I serve as lead pastor here at Refuge. And so, uh, as we do every week, right, uh, I'm letting you know I'm going to be the one that's going to be leading us into this next uh, phase in worship, right, where we're going to be going into the Word uh, of God and really worshiping through opening up those words. And what does that mean? Well, it means that as we read these words, we have a deep belief that God connects with us as we read these words. I know that sounds crazy, right? Because like you look around and, and don't let the school distract you. We're in a school, like it, there's like school, you know, like marketing everywhere. We have some stuff up, but it's, it's a school still. Like there's less people here. We got the good old like summer vacation starting combined with people getting some COVID and all of a sudden, right, there's a few more people here. I'm up here. I'm like limping. I'm like barely up here, right? All those things happening. Don't let any of those distract you or confuse you because even in the midst of all those things, we believe that as we open these words and we explore them, right, that God is alive in them. And because of that, they connect with us in a way where God connects with us. And as we sit here and as we hear just my voice talking about these words, we really do believe that God can meet us here, connect with us in a unique way and change our lives. Right, maybe, maybe it, it, it's a day where you market and go, man, this changed my life forever. Maybe it's a day where tomorrow uh, you just feel a little bit different about your week or about your day. That's okay. Either one of those. We believe in anything in between, but we believe that God meets us here as we work through these words together. And so even now, as we start saying that, right, I know y'all hear me say it every week, but, but we say this because I firmly believe that right now, I hope you're building a measure of like expectation, during this time. I hope that you don't think like, all right, let's just get through this sermon. I hope that you understanding those ideas and that reality, you lean into this time and you invest in this time and you focus and pay attention and start asking yourself, even as we navigate through these words, God, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to speak to me? How do you want to, how do you want to impact me? How do you want to connect with me today? Because we firmly believe that that's what happens. Now, let me be honest. I already took longer on that than I was supposed to in these notes, so I got to jump in real fast. But today what we're going to be doing, having said that, we're going to be continuing our sermon series called The Good Shepherd, right? Y'all have been in it. You know we've been working through Psalm 23, a Psalm of David, where he's showing us through his life as a shepherd how we can begin to perceive God, uh, how we can begin to, to, to understand our role as sheep. We're walking through it one verse at a time, so that's six weeks, one for each verse, and we're coming kind of to the end of it, if I'm being honest. We're at verse five today, and here's the thing. Over the last few weeks, you've heard me use language like God provides a lot, meaning like the points between uh, all of these different things will be like, man, God provides restoration, God provides righteousness, God provides protection. And today, while we're still going to be taking a look at how God provides as our shepherd, uh, this time what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to kind of focus on the character of his provision, if that makes sense, right? We're going to, we're going to focus a bit on uh, like, like what he's feeling, why he does these things. And, and the reason we're doing that is because as we come into verse 5, we're kind of turning into what's going to become like a bit of a crescendo or like a climax in this verse, right? We're heading into verse 5, and then as we go into verse 6, it's going to all kind of like hit this pinnacle. And, and, and really, if you don't understand the character of how God provides, you're never going to understand and really indulge in the beauty of this crescendo. 
right? We've thought about how God provides in these different ways, in these different contexts, different circumstances up until this point. But as we head into kind of like the final lap, if you will, right, as we head into this place, you're not going to get impacted by this last crescendo. If you don't first understand everything I've been looking at, here's what marks it, right? Here's the character that, that marks it. And so we're going to prepare for kind of this big finish in verses 5 and 6 today, uh, or verse 6 today, as, as we kind of work through verse 5 and, and really dive into answering the question, like, what is, what is God's character behind his provision, right? What is motivating it? And, and that's the question we want to start answering. And we want to do that through uh, kind of dissecting two smaller points about God's provision today. And that is, first, that God's provision is sacrificial. God's provision is sacrificial. And the second one is similar to that, and that's God's provision is selfless. God's provision is sacrificial, and God's provision is selfless. Now, let's go ahead and start by reading verse 5, and then we're going to head into our first idea today, which is uh, God's provision is sacrificial. We're going to reread verse 5, just verse 5. I know we read all of 23 a second, but we're just going to read verse 5 here. And it goes like this. You prepare a table. You know what? Scrap that. Hold on. We did this a couple weeks ago. I would love everyone to read verse 5 together. Okay, so it'll be on the screen. Uh, I'll start with my microphone on, then I'm going to maybe take it away from my mouth a little bit. I would love for all of us to read this together so we can all start getting in our mind. Here's what we're looking at, okay? So I'm going to count us down. One, two, three. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Awesome. Thank you. Well, hey, thinking about our first idea, which is God's provision is sacrificial. Uh, we've said over the last few weeks that this psalm is an analogy used by David uh, from his days as a shepherd. And so he's taken us on a journey, uh, as he would have, through uh, his shepherd's journey by still waters, through green pastures. He's, he's taken us through dark valleys and moments where sheep have fallen away and been cast down and, and seen the shepherd restore them. And, and now he's finally headed into summer uh, through the dark valley. And as we're going into the mountains uh, and working through the dark valleys, as we talked about last week, we finally now, in verse 5, have arrived uh, at the summer season, right? The summer season where they would have now, the, the shepherd and his flock would have been all the way through the mountains and entered into the mountain pastures. By the way, uh, if you go back and just examine some of what we've talked about through this sermon series, you will realize that when people say that Psalm 23 is one of the most majestic pieces of literature ever written, it's not a mistake. Like the, the psalm actually goes through like the shepherd's season and works through how a shepherd would care for the sheep through those seasons and it finally arrives at the, at, the, at the route back home next week. It's incredible. And so this week, at where we are in that point is, is getting into the summer where now the shepherd and his flock have ascended into the mountain and they're in the mountain pastures. And these would have been great feeding lands. They wouldn't have been touched pretty much all year and they would have got back there in the summer. Uh, in fact, later on, they would have been referred to as mesas, which is Spanish for tables, uh, in part due to this psalm, but also just because it was like a rich feeding ground. It was, it was rich. They, it would have just been like ample, ample grass and field for the sheep to just munch on and, and dig in on and, and all this beautiful stuff. And in fact, this is what is meant in the psalm when, when David writes, you set a table before me, right, that, that you've brought me now finally into this incredible and beautiful pasture in order to give provision. But here's the thing. Anyone that knows the land, right, knows property a little bit, knows that you can't just walk up into a field that's been sitting there unmanned for a year and just expect to enjoy it. All right, my, my dad and my family, actually back there, look, my uncle's right there. He owns part of it as well. Uh, they, all, they all own uh, a piece of land just southeast of Austin. 
And in the very back, there's this big patch with all these trees and all this high grass and all these bushes and probably all these snakes and probably all these insects and all this other stuff. And I promise you, no part of me would just like pack up my, my kids, Lee and Jude, take them over there, like pull up in the van, throw that bad boy in park, open the doors and be like, have at it, guys. No good father would do that. Right, primarily because if you look back there, I'd be like, fam, y'all get some snakes. You don't get bit by a black widow. Right, like that's what I'd be feeling deep down inside. I'd be petrified. It would take work to prepare that space in order for my kids to go in there and play. It would take labor. It would take figuring out what's needed and then going and doing it and doing it and doing it day after day until finally I felt comfortable. Hey, I have a surprise for you. Come and play right in this field. And that's not unlike what the shepherd would have done. Uh, you see, before the shepherd was actually able to take the sheep into the green pastures, the mountain pastures in the summer, at the end of the, uh, of the spring, uh, the shepherd would have left the, the, the flock at home, maybe with another shepherd, maybe just in a gated field, and he would have embarked on like a reconnaissance mission up into the mountains, a survey, a survey trip where he would have gone, and as he went through the mountains, he would have noticed this is where we can, where we can water. Here's, here's where we probably want to avoid because they're never going to be able to get through this. Uh, man, here's, here's the dark valleys we're going to have, to have to go through. And finally, he would arrive at the green pastures in the mountains, and at that moment, he then would have to start the work of preparation. And, and this is the preparation work that David's alluding to in the psalm. And specifically, he would have prepared that field in two ways. The first way is he would have cleared it of any toxic plants. Uh, having the field been there for a year untouched, there would have been several plants there that if the sheep were to eat them, uh, they could become sick. Some of them could even possibly pass away. And, and so he would begin to slowly, inch by inch, go and navigate the field, finding those toxic plants, bending over and rooting them out, rooting them out, rooting them out. You see, as you listen to me right now, you seem unimpressed. Um, yesterday, I went to, uh, a few of us from our community went to a, a what is the place called? El Buen Samaritano. Um, and they have a community garden. And at the community garden, uh, they didn't have much work for us to do, but they were like, you can pull some weeds from what must have amounted to about a 10 by 6 space. It wasn't huge. But there was like four of us that were in this one little section, and we just started pulling. And the thing is, I would dig in one, and I would grab it, and some of them would poke you, and I'd be like, ouch. And, and, and some of them would kind of like, poke me in a different way, if that makes sense. And I'd be like, ouch to those. And, and, and it just kept, we kept going and it wasn't that bad. But here's the thing, I got home and I was like, man, that was fun. My kids had a lot of fun. And so I went to the backyard and there's this little garden patch there. Uh, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna keep this going, right? Like we're gonna do it here. So I go back there, except for this one was way out. Of, like, it's not new for us. It's been there since uh, we bought the house and it was overrun with, re with weeds. And so I went in there with my little hand tools and I started raking things back and I started noticing where they were and I had to go down. And right when I hit the ground, I noticed like, man, this ain't been, this ain't been a garden in a minute because this mug feels like clay, right? Like, so I hit and it's like, nah, you're gonna take some work to get these weeds out. So all of a sudden I'm there, right? I, I, I tell Rachel, like, you gotta get me a muscle shirt or else I'm gonna go full shirt off action back here in a minute because it it's really hot, right? Like it is, it is burning up. I'm sweating, my 
arms are starting to get sore. My leg is already feeling bad from yesterday morning, so it was already hurting. And I'm bending over, over and over again. And it takes about 40 minutes, and I get up, and I'm like, whoo, and I want some water. And then, I'm not going to lie, a little bit later that evening, I started thinking about what it must have been like for a shepherd, inch by inch, and yard by yard, for hundreds of yards, to just say, no, this one can't be here. No, this one can't be here. No, this one can't be here. All with the thought of his flock on his mind. The same way I thought about my kids, me like, man, I want my kids to share something with me in this garden. And that motivated me to just take those little picks and get those little weeds out. Is the same way David depicts God with, with you and me and the flock of God on his mind saying, no, yard by yard and what seems like infinite amounts of bending over and getting back up and, and infinite heat in the summer in the mountains. But slowly and surely, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how many times my hand is pricked, I'll keep on excavating because I can't have you come here and then not be prepared. I don't want to put you at risk. And so he, he weeds the field and he clears out toxic plants. But there was another way that he would have prepared the place. And it was, uh, he would have also uh, cleared out predators. He would have cleared out toxic plants, but he would also cleared out predators. And so as he's walking through the fields, right, the shepherd, uh, these, these mountain pastures, he would have been on the lookout for what amounts to snake holes, right? Little holes in the ground where you start thinking to yourself like, that's a perfectly circular hole in the middle of, uh, in the middle of this unmanned pasture here. I'm, I wonder what made that hole. And it's like, uh, it was a 185% chance a snake made that hole, right? So, so as he went through, the, went through the field, he would notice those holes, start a fire on one end of the hole, and be on the lookout for where the snake was going to come out on the other side. And when the snake came out on the other side, he would either kill it or if he was in a different context, maybe he would, if he was an environmentalist, he would grab it and like get, remove it, right? Some real Steve Irwin business here, if you know who that is, right? Um, and so in addition to that, he would clear out any sort of dens or any sort of nests for, for any type of like apex predators. You're thinking about wolves, uh, you're thinking about things like foxes. I know the word apex is a little hard to believe when referring to foxes, but uh, you know, anything that could have caused the flock harm, he would have also uh, cleared it out. And so this is what it looks like uh, for him to prepare the table, meaning to get rid of the weeds, to prepare the table of the field, and then to, to do it in the presence of the enemies as, as the, the predators themselves begin to scatter. And at the end of the day, what David wants us to see, and, and here's the thing, I'm not giving you a, a lesson on shepherding because I expect you to go out and put these things into action. At the end of the day, what David wants us to see is that this, is the prepar is that this type of preparation was extraordinarily demanding. And it, it required an immense amount of sacrifice and he wants us to see that that is what God is like for us. He wants us to know that whatever the requirement, whatever the cost, that God is willing to do it. Because his, his provision, the character of that provision, is marked by his own desire to sacrifice himself for the sake of the flock. And so when, when David looks at God, he looks at one who knows the cost, knows it's demanding, knows it's going to be hard and says, but I would do that anyway for the sake of the flock. Friends, I want to ask you, is this the way that you see God? Right, when it comes to how he cares for you, do you see him as someone that is willing to sacrifice for you, to do whatever it takes in order to provide for you? Right, until we learn that following the shepherd is extremely difficult, 
Because you navigate through these places that are dark valleys. You, you recognize that, man, I'm cast down. I'm in need of restoration. And every moment during those different seasons, the ups and the downs, we begin to look up and go, man, where are you? I'm calling out for you. We do just what sheep do. But until we recognize that this God that we claim to be following, it would look at us and say, I would give anything in order to make sure you were okay. It's hard to imagine following him through these dark valleys. It's hard to imagine following him uh, in hard situations. Yet when, when we look at him and recognize, man, you would do absolutely anything for me. Why we realize that, that God isn't the one sitting there going, okay, I want to give you some, but I'm going to withhold a little till later. But you recognize he would go to the farthest links in order to provide the most for us. Right? That that's the nature, the character of his provision for you and for me. His provision, his care, right, is, is sacrificial. It's why Jesus once said he lays down his life for the sake of the sheep. But here's the thing. God's provision isn't just sacrificial. It's also selfless. Check out the, the third line of verse 5. He anoints my head with oil. Now, I'm going to dive into a little bit more of a shepherding uh, exposition here. But I promise it's not pointless, right? It gets somewhere, right? So when... With everything, uh, with the summer pastures looking beautiful, right, with, with everything, uh, the, the amount of food that's in front of them, the, the ability for the shepherd to, to take care of the sheep and for them to feel that sense of safety, it sounds beautiful, almost picturesque, but the thing is there were still very real threats in that mountain valley. The three, the three that are most often thought of are insects, disease, and wounds. Now, insects, during the summer months, uh, although the, the weather would get a bit nicer and they'd be up in the fields, the thing is that insects would begin to descend on the flock. All kinds of incense, insects, incense too, maybe, I don't know. But what I'm getting at is that all of a sudden bugs would be flying around left and right. And one of the most notable bugs was the, the nose fly. As they call it the nose fly. I'm sure it has some Latin name that I can't pronounce. But the nose fly, as, uh, as the shepherds that I was researching call them, were, were flies that would float around the nose of the sheep. And their whole goal was it, to get inside of the nose to lay eggs. And if they could lay those eggs successfully, then when those eggs hatched, the larva would begin to go up and crawl into the cavity of the nose until it would begin to burrow deep down inside the back of the sheep's head. I don't know if it got to brain or not, but I stopped reading at that point. And they would burrow so deep that it would start to cause severe inflammation across the sheep's face. If you could think of it as like the most severe sinus infection you've ever felt, think of it like that. And the sheep would begin to wrestle their face against uh, brush, against trees. And if the inflammation got so bad, the sheep would begin to bang its head against a wall until it killed itself. I was just one, just one of those, one of those insects. Another one was a microscopic parasite that would cause scab, as they called it in those days. And this is a very, uh, scab for them is a variety of different skin diseases that may exist for us now that we have names for. But, but if one of those, one of those uh, parasites got infected or infected a sheep with, with a type of skin disease, it could begin spreading through the whole camp. And before I know it, sheep would start falling down left and right. They'd grow tired and they'd struggle to get from valley to valley. They may become malnourished because they can't get from one spot to another. And so that was the other insect. And then finally, wounds were the other big concern because as they traveled through the mountains up into the valleys over the course of the early summer and got into the, the midsummer where they were in the valleys, they would have picked up a bunch 
bunch of little knacks along the way. Maybe it was that the sheep's ear got trapped on a twig and it, it kind of nicked the ear. Maybe it was the, the sheep's leg cut itself on a, on a rock on the way up. But by the time several weeks had passed by and they finally entered into the green pasture, those weeks would have created potential infections in those wounds. And all of a sudden, one infection could limit a sheep's ability to start descending the mountain in the fall, leaving it behind and eventually resulting in its passing. And to each one of these issues, the shepherd would use, take a guess, oil. And so when you think about the phrase, he anoints my head with oil, I don't know for some of us, right? If you grew up in a Pentecostal church like me, the vision you got of that was like glorious, right? It was like, I'm gonna be king, I'm gonna be royal, and really, what it really means is he cares for me when I'm a mess. When I have become infected, and I'm hurting, and I'm gonna bash my head against the rock, and it feels like I'm doing nothing but hurting myself. When I'm wounded because I've made poor choices, and now those wounds have become infected, and, and they're making fundamental changes to who I am. In each and every one of those situations, the shepherd pours oil on, on the nose, on the wool, on the wound in order to prevent or to bring healing to that specific ailment. And here's the thing, friend, when it comes to this specific idea, does it mean that God uses a first aid kit in order to prepare or to to mend your wounds in the middle of you getting a scratch? No. But here's the thing. He sees your years of pain that have caused inner turmoil like the fly in the nose and maybe even point to death, right? He sees the wounds that have gone uh, untreated for a lifetime and have caused deep uh, emotional responses to certain situations that are rooted in your pain. He sees the things that have left us with the limp. He sees the things that have left us hurting. He sees the things that have left us angry. And in all of it, God sees all these things. And he recognizes that none of these things happened to me. And I didn't cause any of these things. I didn't make you make the choices that you made. I, I, didn't, I didn't spur on the person that may have inflicted damage on you. I, I, didn't, I didn't actively go and try to punish and hurt you every second and, and every, every uh, stretch of the journey. But the beautiful thing about this God is that he's there to protect, to heal, and to care for them either way. He doesn't look and go, well, I did that, so I'm going to take care of it. But you did that one, and I have nothing to do with that, so you're going to take care of that one. No matter the bump, no matter the bruise, no matter the heartache, no matter the sorrow, no matter where it came from, no matter how we got it, the, the idea of God anointing our head with oil is the idea that no matter how it got there, God is willing to step in and say, but I'll take care of it. I will care for you. Man, but you don't understand. I, I really did this to myself. It's okay. I'll take care of that. Man, but I, you don't understand. Like, it's this so-and-so person that actually did this, and I'm still in this, in this relationship. I'm still in this context. That's okay. I'll take care of it. It's really X, Y, and Z. Insert your reason for not believing that God will step in and care and, and, and tend and mend and bring healing. And his response is, I anoint your head with oil, right? The character of my care is not based on whether you have earned it. It's not even based on whether I have done it. It's not based on my responsibility. It's based on me being selfless. It's rooted in a love that goes far beyond and far before you ever existed 
a love that starts with me and ends with that love being poured out on you. He anoints my head with oil. And here's the thing, friend, we, we hear messages like this, right, that God's provision is sacrificial and God's provision is selfless. Um, and I'll be honest, right, like it can be hard at times. I'm talking about God mending wounds and I'm up here limping. And it seems like on every Sunday I wake up and I have some new inflammation in my body, like my shoulder, my knee, my ankle, my foot, um, my other knee. And sometimes even this morning, I'll, I'll be completely honest with you, right, I was walking around my kitchen just like, I don't know, it was my bathroom, it was upstairs. I was like, every morning it's got the same thing. I don't know what it is, I'm tired of this. God, I hate this, I hate this. And it can be so frustrating, right? Like I'm talking to you right now and my foot is on fire. It is on fire. And I'm, I'm telling you words about a shepherd who's sacrificial and who's selfless. And if I'm just reading those words, it can be extremely difficult to, to look at them and say, yeah, I believe that. If I'm just looking at Psalm 23, it's extremely hard to look at it and be like, man, I believe every word of that. Because when I wake up every morning with the pain in my leg or whatever the case is, my shoulder, and I don't even know what's going on. My wife, my dad are always like, you need to go to the doctor, blah, blah, blah. I think this died, Mark. When, um, when all that happens, it's really hard to believe those words. Yet, the invitation that we receive is not an invitation that actually comes from Psalm 23 to believe these words. It's an invitation that comes in John 10. Right? It, it, God is inviting us to look at Psalm 23 and to adore the God who is, who is the shepherd, who cares for us and who is sacrificial and who is selfless, but it's Jesus that invites us to say and, and watch how it works in real life, right? In John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. That's where the whole, whole name of the series comes from, right? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, friend, here's the thing. All the story that we, we talked about where it seemed like, why are you taking me through all this shepherding business? It builds some context, yes, but the ultimate reason is that the shepherd that David was alluding to, even when he didn't know it, was actually always going to be Jesus. Right? Jesus embarks before us to prepare a place for our provision. Jesus removes the toxicity of sin in our hearts by tending those fields. It's Jesus who defeats the enemies of our souls and causes them to scatter. It's Jesus who takes on the infections and takes on uh, the, the diseases, and takes on even the wounds. So that he could look and say, I'm going to anoint your head with oil. Josh, I know you limp. I know that it seems like you're frustrated at this time in your life because you wake up with an ailment every day. Man, I felt those ailments. Right? I, I, I know that you hurt. I know that maybe you have some heartbreak. Man, I felt those heartbreaks. You feel lonely. I was abandoned by everyone who's ever loved me. Right? You, you feel like I've, you've never 
You don't know anybody who's been through the things that you've been through. I embarked before you. I surveyed this land before you ever surveyed this land. The things that you're going through now, I went through far before you were ever thought. I, I went through them. I travailed them. I, I took them upon myself. I felt the pain. I felt the agony. I felt the difficulty. And in them all, I accomplished everything that was necessary. I overcame them. I conquered them. Right, so that the good shepherd could look and say, man, now I anoint your head with oil. I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And when you need to understand the depths of the riches of my care and provision and affection, you look no further than the man hanging on that cross who, who counting equality with God as nothing to be grasped, emptied himself of that glory to enter into the story that you live, the story that we made, and sacrificially and selflessly entered into that story to say, I didn't do any of this. I didn't cause the world to be broken. I didn't cause the world of sin to pierce your heart the way it has, in the forms that it has. But man, I'm here to make them right. And through my sacrifices, you will hear the words. He anoints my head with oil. He cares for me. He prepares a table before me. He leads me down uh, streams of peaceful water into green pastures. When I'm cast down, he uh, restores me. He leads me to right paths. When I walk through the darkest valley, he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Right? He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies goodness and mercy will follow me and pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in his house forever. Because of Jesus, these words mean much more than just encouragements. They are the, the depiction and he is the testimony that these words are true when we look on the cross and see the good shepherd who has come before us, who provides for us, and now to whom we turn for the very provision that we read about in these words. I, what, what incredible and beautiful good news that we no longer talk about the shepherd in Psalm 23, but we look at the good shepherd. We don't use an analogy of the one who, who, who does these things in a spiritual way, but we look at the good shepherd on the cross and see that he's done these things in a real way. That as Hebrew says, we have a high priest who's not unable to, to connect with us on the ways we're suffering, who's not ignorant of what we go through because he went through it. One that says, I'm with you. As we talked about last week, one that says, man, you'll have trouble in, in this world, but, but take heart, be courageous. I've overcome the world. What beautiful encouragement we have that these words are not just words. They're not a pep talk. Right? They're, they're, not, they're not an encouragement. Right? They're a prophecy. They're a prophecy of the shepherd who was to come, who would make the world right, who would tend to wounds, who would lead us to green pastures, and who ultimately next week we'll see invites us to dwell in his house forever. Right, what incredibly good news. Friends, today, here's the thing. I'm getting lit up here. Uh, but it's because, how do I say this? It's because though I still doubt it, and though I still sometimes struggle to believe it, 
life has at least dealt me enough cards to help me look at this God and look at that Jesus and begin to, even just by a little bit, believe more and more that his love and his provision is this sacrificial love, right? That he would go to the utmost extent to obedience to God, even obedience to, to death on the cross for, for my sake, right? This, this selfless provision and care and love from God that, that enters into the story for my sake and for your sake. And, and really to look at these words and go, man, this is, this is the God I follow now, right? This Jesus who embodies these words fully, who is the good shepherd. My invitation to you today, right, is truly like, are you following this God? Here's not what I mean. Here's what I don't mean I mean. I don't mean, do you go to church? And do you read the Bible? And, and, and do you go to small group? And, and do you have like some devotional time? That's not what I'm asking you. I hope everyone in here does. And the reality is not everyone in here does. But I hope you have that. And I hope if you don't have it, that you increase in having it. But that's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you if the God that you follow in your mind and your heart is the God that we read about in these pages of Psalm 23. If he is the one that is selfless and sacrificial, that he is the one that provides peace and, and longs to provide peace, that that I'm asking if you follow the one who longs to provide restoration and longs to provide righteousness and longs to provide protection and longs to provide growth and, and, and does it out of the utmost sacrifice and, and selflessness because he looks at you and is filled with affection for you. I'm asking if that's the God you follow or is it a distortion of God that you follow? And here's the thing, my invitation to you today is to become reoriented with this God. Become reintroduced to this God who does these things out of an abundance of selflessness, out of an abundance of, of sacrificial, eternal love, right? Like to reintroduce yourself to him, to come to him today, whatever that looks like for you. Maybe it's sitting in that chair right now and, and asking God to meet you, to connect with you. Maybe it's singing the absolute mess out of these songs that we're about to sing in a minute. Maybe it's tomorrow taking a break to fast and to get away from the world. Maybe you turn the TV off or you, you put away social media and you say, God, I, I just wanna remember who you are today, right? Maybe it's going to uh, someone's house that's a Christian and, and actually saying like, hey man, like you wanna start like getting together. Maybe it's opening your Bible and reading. Whatever it is for you, there's several steps to take. The purpose of it just can't be, I'm gonna follow, I'm gonna be a Christian but to say, I wanna know this God. I wanna know this God. I wanna know him deeply the way David talks about him. I, I wanna be the one who in Psalm 23.3, as we spoke about a couple weeks ago, transitions to saying, you, right? You, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I, I wanna invite you to that. As we finish up this sermon series, like the last week before we head into next week, I want you to start thinking about that. And as you come in next week, I hope that you're filled with this sense of, I want to follow you. All the days of my life, I want to follow you. I want to know you. I want to be provided for by you. That's, that's my hope for you. That's my longing for you as we, as we start coming to the close of this time. That these words of the good shepherd would not be just encouraging to you, but that they would spark worship in you. Oh, you know, that was my fault.
Let's just see how long it goes now. This is not going to. Right, that they would spark worship in you. That they would fill you with affection and adoration. And that like the sheep running to a shepherd in the midst of darkness, we would run to Jesus in every moment for our provision, for our care, for our peace, for our protection, for our restoration. And that every moment we would run after him and run to him. That's my prayer for you. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 